I invite you to open your Bible and uh, find with me the book of James today, and that's where we're at. And so I want us to look with James, and that testimony fits in wonderfully well with the text of Scripture that we're going to look at today. As you may know and recall, we're preaching from the text that we've read in the weeks uh, this past week. And so today we're in James chapter number 4, and we're going to begin with verse number 1. So find, if you will, in your copy of God's Word, James chapter 4, and we're going to begin with verse number 1. Now, before we read God's Word together, I want you to know that God's got a good word for you. Do you all believe that? How many of you all believe God's got a good word for you? Tell your neighbor, God's got a good word for you, all right? Now, it may be a hard word, but it's a good word, all right? And so God's word is good. So I want to see the Lord loves you. The Lord wants the very best for you. And the Lord corrects us, doesn't he? And then the Lord leads us in the right way to go. Now, if you'll find with me, chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. What is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? You desire and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So whoever wants to be a friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. Or do you think it's without reason that the Scripture says, the spirit he made to dwell in us envies intensely. But he gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Don't criticize one another, brothers and sisters. Anyone who defames or judges a fellow believer defames and judges the law. If you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's one lawgiver and judge who's able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Father, I thank you for your word. It's so powerful. It's so true, so convicting, so correcting. 
Holy Spirit of God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts today as we read and study your word together. Holy Spirit, draw us to a closer walk with you. Teach us to obey you. And lead us to turn from selfishness and turn to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Title of today's sermon is, Are You a Friend of the World? Are you a friend of this world? Hmm. Or, I could have titled it, Lost in Paradise. There's an interesting TV show that's, and I'm not endorsing it necessarily, it's a series of movies where Tom Selleck starred in the movie. And it's about a town in Paradise, Massachusetts. A small town where he becomes the police chief. It's a history of... He has, it's a story about his story as an alcoholic and police officer seeking to find redemption in his own life. And stories about people who live in paradise, but they're lost. And they need hope and help. We all live in a world, don't we? Where we need help. Where we feel a sense of lostness from time to time. We live in a world where even as believers in Jesus Christ, we can get off track. Anybody ever been off track in your Christian life? Get on the wrong way, head the wrong direction in your Christian life? This book is written by James, and it's written to believers. And there's believers that get distract, distracted. They lose their bearings, and they find themselves on a wrong road that doesn't lead to abundant life and joy and peace, but it's a road that leads to destruction and emptiness and conflict and fruitless frustration. That's not what God wants for your life. And so James, Jesus' half-brother, gives us this instruction in this letter with very similar themes to the message of our Lord and Savior on the Sermon on the Mount. And so look with me to this passage of Scripture and notice we're going to, today we're going to look at a wayward path, the pathway that that goes the wrong way, goes the wrong direction, and I'll call that the wayward path. And then James gives us the way home path, all right? And so let's look at these two together. First of all, what's the wayward path? What's that path we don't want to be on? He says, what is the source of quarrels and fights among you? James is saying, he says, you're living on the wrong path because it's a life of conflict and fighting and drama and a string of broken relationships. Now, if you take evaluation of your own life and you look into your life history and you see nothing but a string of broken relationships, it may not be the other people's fault. Because the source may be here in you. Amen? Well, listen. He says, what is the source? Here's what he says in chapter 4. 
He says, what is the source of these war, wars and quarrels and fights? Don't they come from passions that wage war within you? So today we want to talk about quarrels and conflicts and the inner fighting that's taken place. And he says, they're passions that are at war within you. You are living a life of civil war. And do you feel it sometimes in your own life, that inner conflict within you about walking right, doing right, living the gospel rightly? It's an internal conflict. And he uses the word members here. He's, I think he's talking about your, his own self, but also within the church community. And isn't it true that we have a warfare within ourselves? We want to do right, but sometimes we find ourselves doing the very thing that we don't want to do, right? Didn't Paul talk about this? He did. Look with me to Romans chapter number 7. If you have your copy of God's Word, listen to how Paul describes this in chapter number 7, verse number 22. He says, For in my inner self I delight in God's law, but I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war, there's the same language, against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. Oh, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Do you hear the inner conflict, the warfare that's within Paul? It's not only, it is, it's, 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 an, it's a, a warfare. If you have a team and the team's fighting with one another rather than competing with the other team on the field, you got a problem on your team. If you're in an army and that army's fighting each other rather than the enemy, you've got a problem. And there's a problem whenever there's a warfare within us. And he said the issue is this pleasures, these, this hedonism, this desire of selfishness that's within us. Notice he says in verse number two, you desire, you crave, and do not have. It's this craving, this longing that I want something. You seem not to be satisfied. And so this craving begins to take over. James describes this in the anatomy of sin itself. And with me, look with me to James chapter 1, verse 13. No one undergoing a trial should say I'm being tempted by God since God does not, is not tempted by evil and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he's drawn away, lured, enticed and lured by his own desire. And after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin's fully grown, it gives birth to death. That's the way lust and desire and sin and sinful cravings within us it leads not to life, but to death. That was the very lie that was told in the garden in the woman's encounter with the serpent. He says, God's holding out on you. God knows when you eat of it, you'll be more like him. The woman looks at it, desires it, wants it, takes it, eats it. 
brings death to her. Gives it to the man. He eats it. Brings death to him. That's what sin does. It pays off in debt. Death. Not only death, but frustration. Notice what he says in our text. Verse 2. You desire and do not have. You want, you crave, but you're never satisfied. You never obtain. So what is the result of that? Then you're frustrated because you're never satiated. You want and want and want, but you don't have, you don't have, you don't have. And so you despair and you become angry. Notice what you do when you become angry. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. Strong language here, isn't it? He said you murder. What he means by murder, I think, is James means what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount. He said, you've heard it said, you shall not murder. But I say to you, everyone who's angry with his brother has committed murder. You see, this anger that is in your heart, it's murder. You fight, you quarrel, you don't forgive others. Your relationships are being destroyed. It's because of this anger that's within you. One of my favorite movies is a movie called Seabiscuit. Anybody that's an old movie now. In that movie is Jeff Bridges and... Toby McGuire and, and um, Chris Cooper. And it's a story about a horse that had been injured. And these, after the Depression, these guys that come together and this racehorse becomes wonderfully successful. Toby McGuire plays a jockey and his name is Red. And Red had been abandoned by his family. He was filled with anger, fought all the time. And after one particular race that he blew the race because he got angry at another horse and was trying to run him into the rail. Afterwards, Chris Cooper confronts him, the trainer. And he said, finally, he says, why are you so angry? And he said, he fouled me. He was mad and he couldn't get over it because of his anger. Inside of you is an anger. And that anger wants to destroy you. Because you desire, you want, there's something missing. Somebody hurt you, fouled you. And you've got to pay them back because you're mad and angry. And it's destroying your life spiritually. You covet. You desire. You fight. It's not only an internal warfare, but it spills over into churches. Recently, on Memorial Day, I went to visit my mom and dad, and Christy and I went, and my sister and her husband, my brother-in-law, came over, and we took their side-by-side -side, uh, all-terrain vehicles and we went to go visit some family cemeteries, four of them. Christy said, thanks for a really exciting Memorial Day. 
So we went to four of these cemeteries, dusty trails, back roads, and saw the names of a bunch of dead people that I know that they're in my family tree, but Christy had no clue who they are, most of them. And we had to hear stories and put, clean the graves and put flowers on the graves and remember them. And at one of the cemeteries, it's the Union Regular Baptist Cemetery. There's no church there, but there's a cemetery there. I was looking at some of those headstones and thinking about some of those family, uh, families that were buried there. And I, my great-grandfather was buried there. And I, he came over from Belfast, Ireland. And I wanted to know a little bit about the history of him and that church. So I was doing some research online. I found minutes from that church from the 1800s and was reading about the history of that church. The church closed its doors in 1924. In reading the minutes, I found out why it closed its doors. They were so fighting with each other that people would join the church and then they would be excluded out of the church. And one year they kicked out way more people than they allowed in. Well, you keep doing that, eventually you run out of members. Ruins your reputation in the community. That kind of infighting will destroy a church, but it also destroys your life spiritually. He says you covet and you don't have. You want, you desire, but you don't have. You look at other people's lives and you secretly envy and covet them. I think it's a huge danger with social media. You look at it, you look at everybody's life, everybody else's pictures, their idyllic life, and you got your lousy life, and you feel like my life's terrible compared to theirs. Did you know f everything you read on social media is not exactly the way it is? Cain was so angry with his brother Abel that the Lord went to Cain and he said, Cain, why are you so angry? Do what's right and it will be accepted. But sin is crouching at the door. And the first murder takes place shortly thereafter. This is what sin does. It crouches at the door. It destroys us. And it leads to emptiness. Listen to what James says. You desire and do not have. You murder and covet but cannot obtain. Frustration on frustration. You fight, wage war, but you're empty. Proverbs 17, 19 says, He who loves transgressions loves strife. Did you hear that? He who loves transgressions, sin, loves strife. Psalm 140, verse 2 says, He who plans evil 
They stir up wars. What's the source of wars? Ecclesiastes 5 verse 10 says, The one who loves silver is never satisfied with silver. And whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with income. This too is futile. You think by having more and more and more? No, that won't satisfy your soul. Things can never satisfy you. You were built for God. St. Augustine said, Lord, you made us for yourself, O Lord. And our heart is restless until it rests in you. He's our life. Ecclesiastes 6-7 says, All of a person's labor is for his stomach, yet the appetite's never satisfied. What are you longing for in your life? What are you wanting in your life? What's the pursuit of your life? Isaiah 55 verse 2 says, Why do you spend... Why do you spend silver on what is not food and your wages on what does not satisfy? Listen to me carefully and eat what is good. God gives you life. Only he can. Amen? The second thing is, in James, he talks about powerless praying. You ask, but you don't have. Because he says you don't have because you don't ask. And when you do ask, you ask with the wrong motives. Here's the problem. You're so self-absorbed that it evens polluting your spiritual life, your prayer life, your worship life. You come to God in prayer thinking that God, if you just punch all the right buttons, God's going to give you what you want. You come to worship thinking that you can make a deal with God so that he'll give you what you want. That's not the kind of relationship God has with his people. It's not a transactional relationship like that. God made you. He created you, designed you. He wants to bless you. He loves you. He loves you so much that he sent his only begotten son, his one and only son, to come and die on a cross so that you might be saved. God loves you. And he wants you to know him. And when you do, you'll find life. Because it's found in him, not stuff. In the book of Zephaniah, Zephaniah, you know him, don't you? <laughs> a descendant of Hezekiah, a prophet contemporary to Huldah, the prophetess, and Jeremiah. In chapter number 1, verse 6, it says, Those who turn back from following the Lord, they do not seek the Lord or inquire of him. Isaiah 43, 22 says, But Jacob, you've not called on me because Israel, you've become weary of me. You've, uh, you're tired of me, aren't you? In chapter 64, verse 7, he says, No one calls on your name. 
stirring to take hold of you. And you've hidden your face from us and made us melt before because of iniquity. He said there's a prayerlessness in you because there's a selfishness in you. And when you do pray, it's with wrong motives. See, this is the wrong path. The wrong pathway of quarrels and fights and conflicts and hedonism. And the wrong pathway of praying in order to get things. But not really wanting a relationship with God. And the third thing that he says is you have unfaithful alliances. You have unfaithful allegiance. You're not loyal to me, but then you sell yourself to the world. Verse number four, what strong language he uses here. You adulteresses, you adulterous people. You are playing the harlot. You're living like a harlot. Don't you know friendship with the world is hostility toward God? If you want to be a friend of the world, you become an enemy of God. My friends, this world's not our final destination. It's not our home. And it is not our citizenship. Our citizenship is in heaven from which we wait a Savior. And our loyalty should be to the Lord Jesus and not this world. And the big concern that I see is the church of Jesus Christ today is flirting with the world, embracing the ideas of the world and the wokeness of this world, and it leads to ruin in your life. It's all filled with lies. And we've become soft. Sin is sin. And it destroys. Amen. We need to quit talking about sinfulness as if, well, we're a part of that. Well, we don't want to offend that community of sinfulness. I'm telling you, stop it. Life is found in truth. Let's repent of sin, let's walk right, and let's love God, and let's love people no matter where they're at, but let's don't coddle stuff and say that that's not destructive. It is. You're not loving somebody if you pretend what they're doing is not killing them. Love them. Speaking the truth in love. Amen? Hmm. Hosea chapter 4 verse 12 says, My people consult wooden idols and their divining rods inform them, inform them for a spirit of promiscuity leads them astray and they act promiscuously, promiscuously in disobedience to their God. On your phone, you can check the screen time on your phone. And how much time you spend 
in different areas on your phone. You all know this, right? Would you compare that to the time you spend in the Word of God? How's it compare? Are you with me? Are you listening to me today? How does it compare? Truth or not truth? How much time? No wonder we get confused, right? So, I'm telling you, I'm just trying to... I'm telling you, let's spend time in God's Word. More than on Facebook or Instagram or TikTok or Twitter. Some of us care more about how many people like what you have to say on social media than about our walk with God. The scripture says in Hosea 5.4, Their deeds do not allow them to return to their God for a spirit of promiscuity is among them, and they do not know the Lord. Listen to how 1 John says it. Just flip over a couple verses. And I know this isn't the easiest sermon in the world today. But man, it's true, isn't it? Look with me to 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. And, I, and the reason the Lord corrects us is because we need correcting, Right? Do you, did anybody ever correct your children? If not, I hate to see where they're going. You've got to correct them. Now, sometimes it's really hard to watch my adult children correct their children. Because my grandchildren don't need that much correction, I think. But <laughs> they think they do more than I do. I just think they're abundantly cute. But as parents... They know they have to correct them, right? And God loves you. Every son that he loves or daughter, he disciplines them. Now look with me. Look with me. In 1 John chapter number 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride in one's possessions, it's not from the Father, but from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away. But the one who does the will of God remains forever. Amen. This is the wayward and the wrong way from home. It's the way that leads downward toward devastation and destruction and famine and emptiness and loneliness and frustration and disappointment. Jesus said this, listen, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and that life abundantly. Amen. So that's the wayward path. Now in my car, there's, I have a navigation system in my car. And that navigation system 
has a button that says home. And if I get lost, I can punch that button and it starts directing me back home. God's given us a home button here. What's the way back home? And look at our text for today. In James chapter 4, verse 6, but he gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to whom? The humble. He gives grace. God wants to pour out and lavish his grace on you, his forgiveness on you. Notice in verse number 10, chapter 4, verse 10 of James, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will what? Exalt you. He will lift you up. God is the one who can lift you up. Look with me to 1 Peter, chapter number 5, in verse number 7. 1 Peter, chapter 5, verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, the, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time. Cast all your cares on him. He cares about you. Tell your neighbor, God cares about you. He loves you. And so this is, what, this is the first step back home. Humble yourself under the hand of God. Stop resisting. Stop the arrogance. Stop the pride. I know better than God. And you begin with, God, you know what's best for me. You care for me. I humble myself under you. The second thing is similar to it, and that's submission to God as the Lord of your life. Notice what he says in verse number 7. Therefore, submit to God. That's the next step. Submit to God. Submit to his authority. Submit to him that he is king. He is Lord. He's the ruler. He knows better than you do. You submit to him and say, God, whatever you say, that's what I will do. That puts you on the pathway back home, friends. When you say, whatever you say, Father, that's what I will do. Amen? God, when you yield to him completely, he knows best. He's always right. He knows the beginning from the end. He made you, created you, designed you, fashioned you. He knows all about you. He knows all about your quirks. He knows all about your disabilities. He knows all about your ADD. He knows all about that. And he loves you. And he'll lead you. And he'll guide you. Isn't that awesome? Wow. So why do we refuse to do that? Because somehow we think we know better than God. But he knows best. Number three, step back home. What is the way back home on the home button? Spiritually, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Does anybody believe that the devil wants to destroy your life? He does. He is never for you. He's always against you. I want you to get this down big and strong and bold. The devil hates you and God loves you. Which one would you rather submit to?
the one that loves you. Resist the devil. Don't go his way. You resist him and he will flee from you. In 1 Peter chapter number 5, verse number 8, look with me. Be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, that's what the devil is, your adversary. The devil is prowling like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him. Firm in the faith, knowing the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. He said you stand strong in your faith in Jesus and you resist the devil. And he will flee from you. The fourth thing that James gives us is intimacy. He calls us to intimacy. Wow. Notice in verse number 8, he said, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. That's intimacy. Having an intimate, personal relationship with the Lord. Now, when you want to know somebody intimately, you want to spend time with that person, don't you? I mean, do you remember? I know it's been a while for some of you, but you remember when you were falling in love with that girl? Dudes, are you awake? Do you remember? Dan, can you remember back then? Uh -huh. You wanted to know about this girl. So what did you do? You wanted to spend time with her. You made time in your busy schedule to hang out with her. Why? Because you wanted to know her. And, and girls, you acted like it didn't matter that much, but you wanted to hang out with him too. And you kind of played a little coy until the, he took the bait. And this is what you would do in that intimacy. You'd spend time with him. You'd listen to him. And the guys would even look at them, and they'd shake their head, and they act like they're interested. They might have been thinking about fishing, but they were shaking their head like they're interested. What was happening? Trust was being built. Relationship being deepened. And you talked with them. Well, how was your day? And you actually listened. You rejoiced with them about good things that happened. You cared when bad things happened. You studied him. And girls, you thought, what makes this boy tick? I want to get to know him. You studied him. You're curious about him. You praised him. You thanked him. You shared dreams with each other. And you began to open up. Your life. Draw near to God. Spend time with Him. Talk with Him. Hear Him. Listen to Him. Study about Him. Get to know Him. He already knows you. But it says if you'll draw near to God, be honest with Him, confess your sin, confess your failures, share your dreams. And let God minister to the deepest part of you. And he will draw near to you. And you will have a living relationship with the living God. And it will be glorious. And you'll find the life that you've wanted.
Isn't that beautiful? The next word is the word contrition. When we fail, when we sin, how do we, what do we do? Notice what it says in James. Cleanse your hands. How do you cleanse them? There's only one cleansing agent that will wash away your sin. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. There's only one cleansing agent that will purify your hearts. And that's the blood of Jesus Christ. And so if we sin, we confess our sin. We forsake our sin. sin. We're broken about our sin. We don't make light of our sin. And God forgives us all of our sin. If we say we have not sinned, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Ha! Isn't that awesome? What can make my life clean? What can make me white? What can make me clean? What can make me healthy? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Amen. And then finally, love. Love. In verse 11 and 12, he said, don't criticize one another, brothers and sisters. Anyone who defames or judges a fellow believer defames and judges the law. If you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's one lawgiver and judge who's able to save and destroy who are you to judge your neighbor? He said, stop judging each other. Stop criticizing each other. Stop defaming each other. Stop putting the examination light on others. Because when you do that, you're bringing the law under judgment. And there's only one lawgiver. There's only one who can judge. And that's the Lord himself. And this is the law and the prophets. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. This is the law. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is likened to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Your responsibility is not to be the judge. Your responsibility is to love. And let God take care of the judging. Amen. This is what God's called us to do. And that's the pathway home, friends. That's the pathway home. Two ways. There's the wayward way. And there's the way home. I don't know about you, but I want to go home. And I want to walk with him. I've wandered far away from God. But now... I'm coming home. The path of sin, too long I've trod. Lord, I'm coming home. I've wasted many precious years. Now I'm coming home. I now repent with bitter tears. Lord, I'm coming home. 
I've tired of sin and strain, Lord. Now I'm coming home. I'll trust thy love and believe thy word. Lord, I'm coming home. My soul is sick. My heart is sore. Now I'm coming home. My strength renew. My hope restore, Lord. Lord, I'm coming home. Will you come home today? Father in heaven, have your way in our hearts and our lives. Thank you for this powerful, powerful word today. Lord, I pray that we would heed it, obey it. In Jesus' name, amen.